Welcome back to episode number 242 of the Dust Safety Science Podcast. This is the podcast for building a global community around process safety, entries handling combustible dust. I'm your show host, Dr. Chris Cloney. In today's episode, we're discussing non-destructive evaluation to evaluate vessel PRED values. And we're doing that with Bryn Johnston, president of JBW Consulting Engineers based at Duluth, Minnesota. Bryn, welcome to the Dust Safety Science Podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me, Chris. Happy to be here. I'm excited to have Brent on today. He's got a ton of experience in mechanical engineering, over 14 years experience in construction, engineering, project management related to industrial facilities. Um, himself and the team at JBW Consulting Engineers specializes in mechanical and process engineering, structural design, electrical engineering. More importantly for this podcast, do a lot of work in identification of hazards related to combustible dust designing risk reduction recommendations, and verifying and implementing dust collection systems, dust control, exposure mention, exposure protection systems, um, and you name it. Bryn and the JBW Consulting Engineers team recently joined with Dust Safety Professionals with the membership that we have there. And through the onboarding process, we had a really good couple of discussions about some of the topics he sees come up time and time again related to combustible dust. And one of those is establishing PRED values for vessels and determining whether or not the PRED that they were rated for when they were first designed and implemented is still valuable today. And that's what we're going to cover in this podcast episode. So we're going to talk about what Bryn's role is in the industry. Why do we care about the reduced pressure value? Why do we care if it's the same as when the thing was put in there? Some practical examples of where that comes up. And how do we do this type of evaluation to understand if it's still sufficient today? Uh, walk us through some practical examples of that process. So Bryn, with that in mind, can you just go over what your current role is in industry and what you do or work today? Yeah. So I think you described it pretty well there, but we're a consulting engineering company and we provide design and, and evaluation solutions for industrial facilities. I'm the president of the company and we're about uh, 22 people currently. And we do offer all, all the disciplines, but our largest is mechanical and process. And, and so there's about uh, three of us here that currently will perform combustible dust related consulting services, whether it's a DHA or whether it's coming in after a DHA has already been done and, and helping implement some of the solutions or both. Also, we routinely get called for, you know, combustible dust collection system design and just to make sure that from the get go, the, the system is designed correctly. So kind of the, the whole gamut there, but my specialty is, is combustible dust. And uh, so that's one of my bigger focuses. Yeah, it's really helpful to have that experience with hazard identification, hazard analysis, control evaluation, but then also have that experience with the dust collection side and folks you can call on um, in electrical and, and so on to get the stuff set up at the end of the day too. I did mention your guys's, I guess, head office is in, in Duluth. You have a you have another office out there as well in one of the adjacent states. Is that right? In in uh, Gillette, Wyoming, that's correct. So a couple states over, but yeah, yeah and they they serve our sort of the Mountain West region, coal power plants, coal mining other mining activities in that area, some oil and gas as well. Perfect. Yeah, it's helpful just to know where folks are because you'll have people listening to this podcast from all over, different states, all over the world. Hopefully it's interesting, but if you're you're local to Brynn and his team, definitely get a hold of them. In terms of this topic, and I've, I've botched a couple things already, this is episode 243 of the podcast, if you're listening and you've kept track. The show notes will be at dustsafetyscience.com slash 243. That's the number 243. We'll have the show notes there. We're talking about non-destructive evaluation, and my original title, non-destructive evaluation to evaluate vessel P-RED, doesn't make any sense. So anyway, we're talking about non-destructive evaluation, and I'll adjust the title. Why, why do we need to know 
PRED for vessels and industries handling combustible dust. And can you walk us through some practical examples, kind of where this question comes up and where it comes from? Yeah, so PRED is is one of the values used when you're calculating the explosion venting or explosion mitigation devices for, say, a dust collector or some sort of vessel that could contain a deflagration. And essentially, it's it's the pressure that you need to design to. It's not necessarily the pressure capacity of the vessel, but it's the pressure that you need to use to design the, the venting. And that's sort of all laid out in NFPA 68. And so where it came up for us was initially a client in, uh, in the ethanol business, we did a facility DHA for them on the dry side of the process. And, and we identified a certain dust collector that had a vents pointing towards another piece of equipment real close. And so we identified that as a hazard. And we also found that the vents themselves were undersized per the latest standards. And that's not something that everybody necessarily does in their DHAs, but it's something that we do. And we provide that information to the client and they do with that what they will, but we obviously recommend that they always follow the latest standard, NFPA 68 standards. And the biggest change recently to that was to the, I should say specifically the explosion venting size calculations was, what was the last one? I think it was related to the L over D calculation that changed that yeah, required a larger- Some of the bag area. Yeah, bag area, yeah. you couldn't, couldn't reduce it for the bag. So there's been three or four changes over the past probably eight years or so that have kind of forced those panels to grow in size and and no doubt for good reason. But when we brought those concerns up uh, with the client, they wanted to fix it. And so we kind of went down the road to help them get quotes for a new vent. And we we contacted the manufacturer of the, the piece of equipment and and their response is, well, look, we, we don't know the condition of the dust collector, so we can't confirm or deny that our PRED is still good. And I think, you know, that's probably a, a pretty common response from equipment manufacturers. And I think it's the right one from their standpoint, because they don't know if the dust collector or vessel or cyclone or whatever it is, is in an abrasive service or abrasive dust collecting service, those, the walls can thin and there's no, and they don't know anything about it, right? So we thought that was a reasonable response, but we also thought that, well, there must be a solution here rather than to just buy a new dust collector because it, visually, when you looked at it, you're thinking, well, this thing is pretty new. It's maybe, I don't know, maybe 10 years old. It's been in good shape. It's been maintained well. And so it just so happens that our lead mechanical designer in his past life was a, a non-destructive testing technician. And he was also API 510, API 570 certified. API 510 is, is relates to American Petroleum Institute vessels. So he knew how to evaluate a pressure vessel. He, there was a, there's a, a prescriptive method and way to do that. He had the report outlines, um, had the experience with ultrasonic thickness testing and was, and was certified in that. And so I thought, well, really what we're talking about here, even though it's not API, we're talking about a pressure vessel. And it seems to me that if we can confirm that the, the condition of the vessel is suitable, that it has, doesn't have any significant thinning and that we don't observe any significant damages or imperfections or impurities or anything like that that might compromise the integrity of the pressure capacity of the vessel, then it would see it reasonable engineering judgment would tell you that we can use the original PRED or discount it to some degree, depending on what we find or, or recommend fixes or repairs to get it back to that. So, we proposed that solution to our client and and they were all over it and I, you know to us of course it seemed like a, a reasonable engineering judgment to make that, that's done all the time in, in in oil and gas or with api vessels that they do that routinely where they they look at it and they they determine the remaining life and things like that and determine determine whether or not the vessel needs replaced so so we took that approach and we so we went down there we we used ultrasonic thickness tester 
to take vertical basically ran a bunch of vertical lines along the outside of the vessel but also it were the areas that we knew were high high erosion areas such as the inlet and the outlet and and things like that so we did the evaluation and there was a couple of dents in the cone area but overall we we found that the vessel pretty much maintained the original thickness and so it wasn't in a, in a real abrasive service and so based on that we were able to say okay we think that the original P red is a reasonable uh, assumption to make that it still has that capacity. And we went ahead and, and specified the, the new vents and helped them get those installed in, in a better location than what they were. Done that a couple other times for a couple of other clients now. And, and the biggest thing here is, is, is let me know if I'm talking too long here, Chris, but, but no, you the biggest it. thing here is I think that most of our clients we run into really want to do the right thing, but, when they hear from somebody, whether it's us or somebody else, that they need to replace their dust collector that they've had in operation successfully for a while, maybe even had an explosion in and successfully replaced the panels or whatever the case is, and they hear they need to replace this vessel and they think, well, it's perfectly good. And a lot of them would be happy to upgrade. The, it's much cheaper, obviously, to cut in larger explosion vents if that's what you need to do or relocate them or whatever. So it, it allows them to, it gives them an easier path to compliance than just replacing the vessel. Yeah, for sure. In another example, we were able to, well, we we sort of relocated an existing dust collector and we brought up the concerns of, you know, the vents almost certainly are out of compliance because the dust collector was pretty old and and although in good shape, it was fairly old. And so we, we knew that the standards had changed. So we did the same thing and it allowed them to use it in a different service. And I could see a situation where if you simply had an old dust collector out in the boneyard or something that you wanted to reuse, you'd want to probably do this. You'd want to, before you put it into service, certainly you'd want to get it up to the current NFPA standards. And so there's a lot of applications like that where it saves a good amount of money and also time, you know, to, to get a new one delivered and installed and shut down time and all that kind of stuff. So anyway, that's the gist of it. Yeah. And you, you actually took what I was going to say there because I said it's not, or I was going to say it's not just the replacing of an existing dust collector where this comes up, but if you want to use, uh, if you want to move a dust collector from one site to another, if you've changed your process at one site or found that you're deficient, you, you may have it at, a, at another site to use. Purchasing of, of used equipment might be an area where this might come up. Exactly. Those are all sort of areas where you might, you know, have this concern about is the design P red value, design pressure, and the P red is some fraction of that. That you're not allowed to over go above with your venting in as per NFPA 68, is it still satisfied? And you mentioned a couple of things here that I want to kind of double down on. One is the the process of ultrasonic ultrasonic thickness testing or visual testing, whichever one you're using in there. And the other was uh, sort of a note. So we were talking beforehand before we got to the podcast of two things. One is that this process can't really establish a P reduced value for your vessel. It's really evaluating or verifying that the, the P red that it came with is still valid. Um, is, is that, is that correct? And can you speak to that a little bit? Cause when I first talked about it, I, I was thinking in my head, you could actually use it to, to establish the P red, but it, it it's different. And I think it's important to kind of uh, outline that. Yeah. And that you mentioned that too, that, that, that does come up a lot. Like what's the P red. And I think that, you know, if you read NFPA standards, they'll indicate a point to a bar is a reasonable assumption to make in the absence of other other information. And and maybe that's, you know, maybe that's acceptable. Maybe that's not. But you're exactly right. The, understanding the condition of the vessel, whether or not it's in good condition, doesn't tell you what the P-RED value is, but it can tell you whether or not the original P-RED value assigned to the vessel is safe to use. 
reasonably safe to use. You know, if if you do find there are concerns, thinning, whatever it is, you kind of have two options. Either you say, yeah, they're right. We we don't know the reduced pressure of the vessel. And, and based on the thinning that we see or the damages that we see visually, we don't think that you can use this vessel. We don't think it's safe to use. Or if it's in a certain area and you feel that you can design a fix to to overcome the deficiency there, whether it's adding additional plating in a certain way or adding the thickness back to the vessel such that it can withstand the pressure. Of course, that would require some finite element analysis and some calculations, but it can be done. That That's another path you can take as well if you do find that there's uh, significant deficiencies. Yeah, those are kind of the two things I wanted to go into. I guess let's talk about the, the visual inspection versus ultrasonic sonic thickness testing. Um, because we're talking about non-destructive testing here as per, I guess, API 510 and then some of the concepts derived from that. What what is the difference between doing a visual inspection and a and an actual measurement of the vessel thickness at different locations? Yeah, so the, really, in our view, and in my view, and, and any API certified inspector would tell you that you need to do both to really understand what's going on with the vessel. And and it's not in the API world; they use there's additional tools you can use, phased array things like that that we don't get into. There's not not a ton of thickness here to where we're looking for impurities or something in the metallurgy. But so when we we you know we would call it a vessel inspection and visually we look at it is there a dent is there is the tube sheet damaged is there you know anything that looks out of line is there are there bolts missing they're bolts sheared things like that you got to keep your head on a swivel still just because you just because you ran a few ultrasonic thickness tests along the high wear areas and it shows good well you also need to consider anything else that might be going on with that vessel and the big thing is just a corrosion is another one or, or uh, that you could see from the outside that you, you might find that uh, the thickness isn't so bad, but when you consider that there's corrosion happening in critical areas and you visually see that could be of concern as well. So it, it's just coupling those two together that you know what you're looking for to begin with, just from having experience with working with these vessels and understanding them. But then you also have the ultrasonic thickness testing to tell you specifically the wearing. And, and that's that, that would be the thing that would be hard to quantify visually. Is, is the thickness of the, of the metal. And you may be able to qualitatively climb around in there and say, oh, I see some thinning or wearing here or there. And maybe that's an acceptable way to do it too. But we feel like this was a way to, to put good numbers to the process here and the verification of the original P-RED. Yeah, it makes sense. Uh, you walked through a couple examples already, both uh, the ethanol site and the dry side evaluation of that. Do you have any other you know examples or case studies that stand out in terms of running this process and maybe what some of the outcomes were of those? Yeah, so the one, the other one I mentioned was relocating of an existing dust collector from one process to another. And just because the one process got bigger and needed more air and the other process was new, I guess, uh, or relocated rather. And so we did the same thing with that. And we and in both cases, we recommended larger, obviously we recommended larger explosion vents based on the latest NFPA calculations. Another situation that we haven't actually executed yet, but just you mentioned buying used equipment. And I didn't think to mention that, but that's another one where we plan to look at another vessel for uh, another wood products client. And they're really committed to a safe facility and they want to know, you know, is this thing safe to put in? Are we up to the latest standards? And industry yeah. practices. So, yeah, those are the ones that stand out to me. Makes sense to me. And there's kind of two possibilities, right? So you you verify the P red. So option one is the 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 P red's verified, and option two is the P red's not verified. So if you do verify the P red, then it comes back to to doing those NFPA 68 calculations with the latest version of the standard. 
make sure the vent area is sufficient. If it's not, then increasing the vent area or providing some other means to control the explosion hazard. That's kind of one side of the equation. On the other side, um, and I've seen this come up a couple of times, so you sort of, you mentioned it already, but I think it's worth repeating. In the case where the PRED's verified not no longer to be sufficient, uh, maybe there's visual corrosion or rusting or damage, mechanical damage or something at the 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 joints, the inlets, the outlets that is causing that you know PRED no longer to be established, or maybe you don't know it. And I think this is probably another use case that's sort of a sub one of the ones we've talked about. But if you don't know the current PRED and you want to make the assumptions that are aligned the IPA standards. Well, you should do your visual inspection and maybe even a you know a, a, an ultrasonic inspection to see if those make sense. Because if you have holes in your collector, or you know you could put a hammer or a hand through it or something, the the, the assumptions that are the guidelines, the rules of thumb probably don't apply to that system. Um, and the problem is going to be if you have a deflagration event in that dust collector, it's going to vent in an inappropriate direction. I've seen the, the walls fall off them. You know, all kinds of st- bad stuff can happen if we don't get that venting of the right location that we're looking for um, at the end of the day. So, yeah, on that side, when we when we haven't verified the P-RED, you mentioned already a couple pieces of it. Maybe we'll sort of make a list. What are the things that, that people might be able to do then to avoid needing to replace the vessel altogether? What kind of uh, routes can they take to improve the strength or come up with a different design? Yeah. So if, if, first of all, I agree with your statement there, just to build on that a little bit, that even if you don't know and you want to use the NFPA standards to, for a PRED assumption, it's still, still a very good idea to make sure that the vessel is in at least, um, so you could look at the original drawings, for instance, and find out the metallurgy thickness and or the metal thickness and, and the, on the walls. And you could say, okay, well, we don't know the PRED, but we do know that this dust collector is in, in good shape. And we confirm that with a vessel inspection and so we feel that it's safe to assume the point two or whatever the the assumption is that you're making that's that's a good idea but also let's say you're putting it in a in a cement facility and you're collecting cement dust well it's still nice to know that your dust collector is in, in good shape too i mean it's it's not only for that it's also just to know that and feel good about the thinning because that can be pretty hidden on the inside of the vessel and you may not see that looking from the outside it's another added benefit obviously what was your back? To, what was your question? I already it was forgot. more about some of the if we list just some of the things that people might do once they if they need to strengthen sure. the vessel. Yeah. So if I saw thinning in a certain area, you could cut out that section, replace it, make sure you design the welds to withstand the pressure that they were originally designed to withstand. You could add thickness back to the vessel. In essence, if you're talking about a wear issue, if you're talking about mechanical damage. It may be the same thing where you're you're putting a you know, if it's in the cone section, you put a piece of curved plate around it and basically replace, you'd have to mathematically show that you're effectively replacing the strength of um, of what was originally there. That would be, those would be the, the big things that you'd be looking at. And in terms of corrosion, same concept, but that one might, you know, that can be a, corrosion can certainly be a slippery slope. And yeah, you got to stop, you gotta stop you, it. It's yeah. going to keep happening if you don't. You got to uh, be pretty confident yeah, that you're cutting it all out like, the, like cancer, right? So um, that one yeah. is probably a little bit more involved and, you you know, but still doable, I guess. And I, I think I've heard of people adding struts and kind of different things like that yeah. to maybe stand up a stronger vessel as well. Exactly. Yep. That's in, exactly. And that, that may be required because you can only go so thick with the metal that you're going to weld on the side because you, the existing thickness is, you know, an eighth inch and you can't go thicker than that. But you want to stiffen it up and be sure that's another way, a good way to do it, too. 
Exactly. And I think that's probably where you get into things like finite element analysis and trying to understand the strength of your vessel that way. Is that something that you guys yep. uh, typically do for clients as well? Or is that something you work with other companies to do? Or what's what's the experience level there? Because I know there's a yeah. few folks that do it. Yeah, we, not that we have done fun. Yeah, we sorry to cut you off there. We have done finite element analysis. And, and one area that we've done it quite a bit is on the squared around transitions. So between the vessel and the backdraft damper on a on an application, your duct in between is supposed to be two times the P rate of the vessel or the backdraft damper, whichever is higher. And for round duct, you, you don't, that's usually not a problem. The, the pressure capacity of a round duct is, is pretty high, but where you have a squared around transition, particularly on the flat side of those, there's very little pressure capacity. So we've done that quite a few times where we've designed those transitions with stiffeners and the same concept could apply to really any vessel, right? You perform the finite element analysis to feel confident that the design will withstand the pressure, the P, two times the P red in that case, or maybe the vessel itself, maybe it's an oblo- a funny shape, whatever. You can perform finite element analysis to, to prove that. You need to, I should say. Yeah, that's a great that's a great point. I hadn't thought of that. I was thinking more in the vessel, but yeah, if you got transition points in your ducting, anywhere that has a has sharp corners, those um, you said so elegant. I was like, it's a squared around transition. Yeah, <laughs> um, those points are going to be areas of high stress, potentially even structural stiffening of of explosion protection equipment in general. If you have valves or suppression systems, you don't want those to to put too much stress on the the ducting or the equipment that they're put on. That might be an area where it comes in. There's probably yep. a couple of different options there that come, or a couple of different places where that type of evaluation might come into play. Exactly. Okay. Well, I mean, this has been a, a really interesting podcast episode. My hope was that I have something to point to when folks ask me how to how to verify the P red of a vessel. So we have that now, which is excellent news. Um, we will have a way to contact Bryn in the show notes at dustsafetyscience.com slash two four three for this episode. Um, Bryn, anything else you want to leave folks off with before we close over today? It could be on non-destructive testing, combustible dust in general. Any closing thoughts before we leave it off? Well, good question, I guess. I don't know that I necessarily do. I um I, I will say that, you know, just in general, we've seen a lot of facilities stepping up to the plate in terms of investing in uh, combustible dust concerns. And so uh, I, I would say even over the past five years, there's been we've seen more of a commitment to that, even from the smaller facilities that we're involved with. And I think that's just an increased, you know, people are hearing about these more often. And I think probably in part for what you're doing here is is bringing visibility to the concerns in the industry. So that's good. We thank you for doing that. I, I think I'm not aware of another uh, another entity that does what you do. And so uh, I think it's really important work that you're doing to increase that visibility. And so maybe there's simply just in the States anyway, been enough lawsuits around surrounding it where the insurance companies are forcing the facilities to focus on it a little more too and putting the screws to them. But just in general, we, we recently were working with a, a smaller wood products client and excuse me, we did a, we did a DHA and we had designed a number of, of remediation items for that pertaining to the DHA and we kind of we worked with the contractor to come up with the price to help them out to understand what it would cost. And when the price came back, it was, you know, it was a, a decent chunk of money. And we all feel us working the project out that, well, geez, they're never going to go for this. And, uh, and, the, and they, they surprised us and they did. And um, we were pretty happy to see that this facility and this company was, was really seriously committed to fixing these things and trying to make it a safer workplace for their employees. So that was that was good to see, and I, like I said, we've seen that just a little bit more over the past few years. So yeah, I yeah. agree. I think 
it's yeah in any market there's going to be people that are ready to move ready to purchase ready to buy ready to do something there's going to be people in the middle and there's going to be people that no matter how much you explain to them they're not going to going to move forward in their safety journey the, the question is can we move more of those people in the middle that are sort of unsure about moving forward to yes this is something we need to invest in to keep our folks safe to keep our downtime um, low to keep our product safe um, to keep our you know expenses low in terms of responding to this sort of stuff and if we can help move that forward, then that's really good. I mean, the the, the work by the Council Safety Board in the 2000s, followed by NFPA. Well, I mean, NFPA has had a combustible standard since the 20s, but I'd say you know the last 20 years with a pretty intense focus on development up to 660 um, OSHA and the combustible national emphasis program being re-released this past year. Um, those are all activities that are combining to the awareness. Then the pointy end sticks, guys like yourself, Bryn, <laughs> that are out there. You know, every day, found the pavement insights, trying to educate people, trying to get good work done, innovating, um, which we don't see a ton in our space. But it's nice to see some folks going outside and saying, hey, what can we pull in from chemical processing or um, other industries, process safety in general that we can apply to combustible dust? So it's been an interesting discussion around this topic. If anyone, again, wants to contact Bryn, I'd recommend reaching out. We'll have his uh, contact details in the show notes. And hopefully this is not the last time we get you on the podcast, Bryn. Look forward to talking again in the future. Yeah, likewise. Thanks for having me, Chris. Thanks, Brent. We'll talk soon. Bye now. Okay. So you've been listening to myself, Dr. Chris Cloney, and Bryn Johnston, president at JBW Consulting Engineers based out of Duluth, Minnesota. We've been talking about using non-destructive evaluation to verify vessel PRED values. This is kind of a really interesting topic, discussion. It's something that comes up quite a bit when you are looking at dust collection systems, certainly, but really any, any type of vessel as a a processing operation inside of it where you could have a deflagration would have these same concerns most commonly see with dust collection there's kind of a couple different pieces here one is just you, you go into a site and the protection system the explosion venting was undersized from the start it just wasn't well designed it was designed with doors instead of vent panels or, or whatever it's going to be from that evaluation find out that vent area is not large enough um, then there's also changes in the standards and the regulations to combustible dust suggesting that, hey, that was an unsafe you know, level of protection in the past. It may have had adver- adverse effects. You may have seen more damage to the dust collector than was allowable, more higher chances of rupture and, and that sort of thing. And those new requirements are saying you need larger vent area. And under all these cases, you're really looking at, okay, well, let's do the calculation again, understand what kind of vessel pressure we need. In order to do that, you need to understand the design strength of the vessel, which goes into determining what the, the reduced pressure is it goes into your venting calculations. Um, at the end of the day, if you don't have that value, it's very hard to, well, you, you can't do the calculations needed to come up with your explosion venting. Uh, so then that's what this topic was around. Can we verify the design PRED value of those vessels using visual inspection and using other non-destructive methods such as ultrasonic thickness testing? We mentioned API 510, which is the pressure vessel inspector standard through API. And that has some good information. I've not read it myself, but has uh, some good information on the inspection of pressure vessels from, say, chemical processing industries. And likewise, boring on some of those concepts, you can get an idea of what testing might be used to verify the design pressures of a, of a dust collection system as well. We talked through some of the cases here. You may be replacing a dust collector, moving a dust collector, buying a used dust collector, you may be, again, going in and evaluating, hey, the vent area is not large enough on this system or not a, above the recommended level, maybe increasing that. And those are all cases where you might be looking at needing this type of testing. Uh, it was interesting in my end to get some background and 
information on this type of testing. And I look forward to seeing hopefully used more frequently within industry to uh, help make these systems safe and, and establish the venting area that's needed. So I think that's probably it for this podcast episode. Again, we'll grab Bryn's contact details from the show notes at dustsavescience.com slash 243 for this episode. And as always, I want to say thank you for listening to the Dust Save Science podcast. We have a safe, productive week ahead. I appreciate everything you're doing and interest handling combustible dust, making them safer at the work that you're doing out there every day. Keep it up.